Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the We Are One podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like We Are One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything We Are One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. Hey, welcome back to another Extensions. I hope these are helping you. And this one uh, is going to be, I guess, technically a part two. If you went back and watched uh, or listened to the last Extensions, it was called Snake Eyes, and it was connected to Acts chapter 9. Now, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 9 for this one as well, but I'm even going to go deeper. I'm going to go out of a different couple of different books because I got to really kind of sew together the narrative of Saul of Tarsus at the time, we know it's the Apostle Paul now, what was he doing uh, for a bunch of his life that's not really recorded well in the book of Acts? I want to give you this last thought, though, based off, coming off of this last extensions called Snake Eyes. You got to watch that. The, the ending revelation is really amazing. The correlation between the scales fell off his eyes to the idea of how snakes have scales on their eyes and uh, they get cloudy, they're shedding skin, they're blind. The whole correlation is really, really cool. But what, here's what I thought was interesting. Just this is a little extra, and then I'm going to really dive into it uh, for this week. I think what's crazy is I don't know what it is, but God has something with eyes when it comes to Paul. Paul loses his sight on the road to Damascus when he encounters Jesus. He's then healed after being blind for three days. But then what happens at the end of his life? Many scholars believe that he went blind again at the end of his life. He talks about, uh, he, uh, he writes where he says, I prayed for the Lord to deliver me I, with the, from this thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times, and he wouldn't do it. And he said, it's in red letters uh, in the NIV, you read it like the, the Bible, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what Jesus told him. I know you want to be healed, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, it's made perfect in your weakness. Isn't it interesting, this correlation, that Saul was living blind spiritually and had to be blinded physically in order to be able to see Jesus, actually. And then he was healed so he could physically see, spiritually see. And then later in his life, he was blind again. And I think we can wrestle with that why, but... Here's just my, my quick take. I, I think there could be many takes, but I really believe that Paul was allowed to be blind at the end of his life because he was being used for such massive greatness for Jesus that Jesus wanted to make sure that it was his grace that was sufficient for him, not Paul's grace. That it was his power that was made perfect, not Paul's power. That it wasn't Paul's name that would become great, but the name of Jesus that would become great. And that was the intention and the desire of Paul's heart. But there's something that we have to be realistic with is that as we grow being used for God, it's really easy to touch the glory if we're not careful. We want to make sure that in all things he gets the glory. So in this case, Paul was blinded to make sure that Jesus could get the glory. I want to take you on this journey. That was just a little extra, but I want to take you on this journey now from Acts 9 to Acts chapter 13. You're going to notice if you read it, Acts 10, uh, you don't see Paul there. 11, 12, it's not till 13 that literally he goes from Saul to Paul in that chapter. What was he doing? Where was he? 
13 is roughly like the halfway point in the book of Acts, give or take. I know there's 28 chapters, but almost the halfway point. What is he doing in the, all of that time? I'm going to have to dive into Acts 9, and I, I'll go outside that a little bit. I, you know, I'll go into 2 Corinthians. I'm going to go into Galatians 1, but I'm going to really use Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians really to piece together, to sew together this narrative. What was Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul as we'd call him, up to? And I want to use some maps even in this teaching, hopefully this helps you, to really walk through, make it a little more clear, um, everything that's not completely clarified in the book of Acts. So let's start the gate right now with a map, talk about what we know already, then we'll dive into it. You would have caught this in another extension, but this is my first time using a map to really help you. We know that Paul is on his way to Damascus to try to imprison, brutalize, kill Christians. He's met by Jesus in Damascus. He stopped there in Damascus. And then he's led by hand into the city. He makes his way now, finally arrives. He's in Damascus. And he's then healed by Ananias. He lays his hands on him and heals him. I want to clarify this. Side note for you. Now, I, I know that some people, you might know this, but other people might not. They're learning the Bible. I want you to understand this. It gets confusing when you're reading the Bible and you they all have the same names. And I know like for us, it's like a lot of like, my name, David. A lot of people have the name David, right? I get that. But we read the Bible, we're like, oh, John. Well, there, there could be multiple Johns. There's John the Baptist. There's John Mark. There's John the Apostle. It can get confusing. So in the same way, Ananias, just to make it clear, the Ananias that laid his hands on Paul in Acts chapter 9 is not the same Ananias in Acts 5. Spo spoiler alert. Sorry. I'll get into an at another extensions a little bit deeper, but just to make sure it's clear here. That dude died in Acts 5. He lied to the Holy Spirit, and he died. So he ate. Jesus resurrected. Jesus resurrected Lazarus. But Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. He wasn't getting resurrected. He stayed dead in Acts 5. Acts 9 is a different Ananias. Just want to make sure that's clear. <clears throat> so Paul, he receives his sight. He gets up. He's baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't eat for three days. He was like, I'm going to eat, eat some food. I'm going to regain my strength. And let's start here now. Acts 9, let's start at verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once, I love that, he began to preach. He couldn't, he just had to get to it right away. Began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to look at that word, synagogues. It wasn't just one location. Just like in Acts 6, where Jerusalem had multiple, many synagogues, Damascus also had many synagogues. And so he's going into all of these different synagogues, everywhere he can go. The, the old phrase would be, in the, to the highways and the byways, is how they say. I don't even know what that means, but that's what people growing up in church, what people say. He went everywhere he could, we're reading now in Acts 9 in the synagogues, to share who Jesus is. Let me continue. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Christians are not yet called that, but that's what he's talking about. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus. That's where he is now on the map. We're going to talk about that more. By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I'm about to have to jump on the map here in a second because Paul wasn't there for very long. Let me read the next verse, verse 23 now. Why was he not there very long? Because after many days 
had gone by. I don't I don't know how many days for sure. It doesn't there's I haven't found anywhere detail where it says how many days. I don't know if anyone knows exactly. Many days is that I don't know what's many to you? 5, 10, 20? I don't, I don't know what's many days. I would say we're at least in the realm of no more than a month if we're talking many days, right? So after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews. His own people. They want to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. So they're waiting for him to escape out of the gates so they can come and kill him. They want to stop this message from going any further. Isn't it crazy that he came to Damascus to stop the message from going any further and now people are trying to stop him from spreading the message any farther? But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket. That's a big basket. That's a, for a big boy right there. Lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall, and he snuck out in a space that they wouldn't be looking for him. I want you to notice this. It uses the phrase here in the NIV, his followers. In the NASB, it says his disciples. A disciple is just a follower, right? So we all, in the end, want to make disciples of Jesus. But already at this point, we just read that Saul grew more and more powerful. So people are seeing God's hand on his life, and they want to follow him. This is why Paul wrote later, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because there were disciples, there were people that wanted to follow him so that they could go and actually be able to come closer to learn how to follow Jesus. There's a lot of them that are getting a huge impact on their lives from Paul's influence. And so they want to keep their brother safe. So they lower him in a basket. And actually in Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians, he gives even more detail about this. It wasn't just the Jews. The Damascus government got behind this to try to get Paul to shut up and not spread this message further. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32 and 33. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascans guarded in order to arrest me. I was lowered in a basket from a window in a wall and slipped through his hands. So we read that part, but King Aretas, he's not a Jew. He actually has problems with King Herod, the Jewish king, right? They were in good terms. Yet, he's like, I'm going to tell my governor we're going to unify. We're going to stop that. I'm going to partner with the Jews. We're going to stop this message, Christianity, from going any farther than it is right now. So now that's Acts, 2 Corinthians. That's the only time I'm going to be there. But now we're going to go basically back and forth on the map as I go through Scripture. Acts. Galatians, Acts, Galatians. And you literally got to read it in that way to put the story together. So now let's jump over to Galatians and fill the holes that you can't figure out between Acts 9 to Acts 13. Galatians 1, starting at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to, in me. That's so cool. Not just his son to me, his son in me. This is why he says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Wow. Love it. Thin planet. I love just reading scripture and just, just seeing how great God is. Please reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. So I wasn't going and like looking for the apostles is what he's referring to specifically. 
I did not go up to Jerusalem. That's so that, that's where the apostles were. Um, Acts 15, you can see the Jerusalem Council. That's where all 12 of the, the apostles, because if you watch the very first one, the Dangerous Dozen, they brought in a 12th because Judas had killed himself. Matthias set him up as the 12th, and that they all there were able to kind of govern and help people understand where to go with this Christianity thing. Now it was all new because they were living under so many laws with Judaism and all that kind of stuff. So he goes, I didn't even go there. I didn't go to Jerusalem to see them to see those who were apostles before I was. This is kind of crazy. He's like, I don't, I don't need all of them to confirm what Jesus has done in me. I know that Jesus has set me apart. But instead, where do you go? Look at this. We're going to hop on the map here in a second. I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. So let's talk about Arabia first. On the map, you see here that after he's converted, his first stop is to go into Arabia. What I want you to get here, what amazes me, is before Jesus launched his ministry, what's the first thing he did? He goes into the desert for 40 days. Where's Arabia? The desert. The hot desert. Jesus goes into the desert praying and fasting and being tempted by Satan for 40 days in the desert. He comes out of the desert, and then what happens? As he comes out of the desert, he goes to where John the Baptist is baptizing everybody. His cousin, John the Baptist, goes, whoa, whoa, my cousin? The Spirit, because John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even when he was a baby. The Spirit explains to him, and it's inside, this is him. And he goes, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus goes, John, I need you to baptize me. He goes, I can't baptize you. You got to baptize me. He goes, John boy, baptize me. Jesus goes in the water. He comes out. What happens? The Holy Spirit in bodily form like a dove begins to descend upon Jesus. You hear the voice of the Father confirm, your ministry about to start, my boy. He goes, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Before any of Jesus' ministry launched, and now we know it was three and a half years of Jesus' ministry before he was crucified, before any of that launched, what first was taking place? He was in the desert preparing to start his ministry. What did Paul do? Paul goes into Arabia, into the desert, to prepare before he starts his ministry. Now, he was already witnessing out of the gate. Preaching and leading a ministry is different than witnessing. Every believer in Jesus is called to witness. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, so we can be his witnesses. But Paul goes here, as Jesus did, and Matthew for Paul writes in Galatians 1 that he goes into the desert, a place in Arabia that it's it's a vast desert area. There's few cities, few trade centers. There wasn't a lot of places for him to enjoy, right? He's there in it's a desert. It is what it is, okay? It ain't like we see today, like deserts in other areas like Saudi Arabia and all these places. I'm trying to remember what's the super popular place that's just popping off right now. Just they just making the deserts look good. I'm gonna go crazy. What's that? De- what's that? What's that place called? Got the tallest building and all that. I don't know. Put it. Put it in the comments. I'm gonna go nuts now. I'm trying to think of it. I can't remember. Anyways, I'll keep going. I digress. Okay. It ain't that kind of desert. Okay. It's. It is a. It's hot. Uh uninviting, uncomfortable place. 
that that Saul goes for years to prepare before he launches his ministry. Because see, when he launched, he wanted to make sure that what he launched, he could sustain through the Holy Spirit. That what he launched, he was ready to continue. Not for days, not for months, not for years, for a lifetime. You go watch volume one of Our Keepest Dangerous Volumes. Paul beheaded unto death was his calling for Jesus. And he wanted to make sure that he set it up well here. So you notice he prepares, he's, he's first witnessing in Damascus, he goes to Arabia, he prepares, and then eventually, here, let's hop back on the map, Damascus cools down, meaning it was like temp-wise is a hot place. But it got hot as in like, as in like, it was too hot to stick around. It was like he was going to get caught. He had to like, he had to get away. Actually, it's weird. He goes to a hot desert to get away from the hot. Catch, grab, pull him in, imprison him, kill him, right? Whatever was going to happen. So Damascus starts cooling off. He goes back to Damascus, returns there, and hoping that the Jews wouldn't be looking for him, he comes there. And then he writes in Galatians 1 again. Now look at verse 18. Then after three years, huh, I wonder if I was just referring to the fact that Jesus' ministry was three years preparing the disciples, the apostles, to be launched. It's interesting, we have a ministry school here called We Are One College. Huh, I wonder if it's on accident that our program is three years long. Here's Saul of Tarsus, who's going to become the Apostle Paul. How long did he prepare for? Let me check. Three years. I wonder if there's something to that. I don't know. I'm just trying to follow what Scripture says. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stay with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James. It's kind of like, I saw none of the apostles. Uh, wait, no, only James. He's kind of recalling. The Lord's brother. It's pretty cool. James, the, the one that in Acts 15, he's overseen the church there in, in Jerusalem, and he wrote the book of James, the Lord's brother. He said, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. So let's look at this on the map. For the first time in three years, Paul goes back to his old stomping grounds. He goes back to Jerusalem where he's trained up by Gamaliel to be a Pharisee. He goes back to Jerusalem where Stephen was stoned. He goes back to Jerusalem where there Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. He goes back to Jerusalem where now the apostles are all, all gathered. This is a big deal. I'd be a little bit scared if I was him. I ain't gonna lie. He goes back to Jerusalem knowing, I gotta try to convince all these people that I'm changed. And to some degree, it's like, I don't need to convince them as whatever that's on them. It's between me and God. But at the same time, I know he wants to be in good standing. So he goes back to Jerusalem. He, he meets, it says Cephas and James, the Lord's brother. Now let's jump now to the book of Acts. Now this is where he goes. Acts 9, he writes about it a little bit. We're going to go back and forth here. Acts Galatians, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. It's like, no, trust me, guys. No, no, no. You wolf in sheep's clothing. You're just going to try to like get us all. When we, when we in our sleep, you're going to like kill us or something crazy, like a murderer or something. Like, we can't be trusting you. But Barnabas, I love this because Barnabas is a foreshadowing of what's to come in Acts chapter 13. Go, go read it. Get ahead. I'll get there later. 
Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Meaning, okay, guys, we can trust him. He already risked his life preaching fearlessly in Damascus. I think we can trust him. He's preaching in the name of Jesus. So in Galatians 1 and Acts 9, it illustrates two things that we need to get from this. He meets uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul meets Peter, James, and Barnabas, number one. With that, Barnabas, I just told you the foreshadowing of the first missionary journey that would take place in Acts chapter 13. But the second thing I want you to catch here is let's just read between the lines. It says that some of them are scared, but when people are scared, how do they act? Sometimes people actually overcompensate in their posture, in their emotions, and in their aggression and feelings when they're scared. It's not always just like, sometimes it's coming at. Paul, a bold, upfront, aggressive Pharisee, zealous Pharisee. Peter, a gruff fisherman, who even, uh, think about when he denied Jesus, he was cursing. So, I mean, it's kind of like, you heard the phrase cursing like a sailor, right? Cursing like a fisherman in this case. I wonder what their first meetup was like. Like, I wonder, like, because later you can read scripture, the scripture where Paul and Peter in Galatians 2, there's some stuff going down. But like, I wonder what this is, was, was like. You can kind of start reading between the lines. It's like, you were trying to hunt us, bro. Don't think, I don't want you to think for a second that you're going to get my trust that quick. I don't want you to think for a second that you're going to be able to just get off the hook this quick and that you're going to be able to just continue forward and think that you're just going to get in our group and you're going to be able to proclaim Jesus. I don't, I don't know, I don't know exactly what happened, but I would just like to imagine a little bit and read between the lines. Let me, let me keep reading. Sorry, I, I digress. Let me keep reading the scripture. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So it's like, okay, I got through this enough with these guys. I'm going to keep preaching in Jerusalem now. Think about this. This is crazy. He's spreading the gospel where he was once terrifying Christians. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they, try, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So you see, you see on the map here, the believers know that the gospel is going to spread. Mission number one, protect Paul. Like you're going to see this as a theme throughout the book of Acts. Protect Paul. We got to keep the dude alive because he's raising up churches. He's raising up leaders. He's putting confidence into people to keep living for Jesus. And it's, it's even interesting that Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. So the confidence that he's putting into people is only the confidence in Jesus. Protect Paul. So on the map you see here that they took him to Caesarea first. So from Jerusalem, you're going to come up over to Caesarea. And then from there, he goes back to his hometown. His hometown of, of Tarsus. Uh, you would look on a, on a map there, and you're going to see that, that Tarsus in Asia Minor. Now, when you see like Asia, that was called Asia Minor at the time, because we know Asia is a completely different thing now today. But it would, would have been considered modern-day Turkey, where modern-day Turkey is like, it was like, um, never eat soggy Wheaties. Okay, it was like West. That's how I remember my uh, my compass. 
west side of modern day Turkey is where you're going to see where Tarsus is located. What's so cool is the place where he's born, he's able to bring the gospel back to his hometown and to declare to them that Jesus is Lord. So now let's jump from Book of Acts back to Galatians. This is all chronological, by the way, the way you would read it and you would see the journey. That's why I got to go back and forth between them to help you. Galatians 1, verse 21 to 24. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. He's kind of like, Phew. they don't know that I was trying to kill everybody. I was unknown to the churches of Judea that were in Christ, that are in Christ. They only heard the report. This is great. The man who formally persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Meaning, I don't got to convince them. It's like, they already know I'm on their team. We're on the home team, the Jesus team, same team. This is a good thing. And they praised God because of me. They like they rejoiced that God could do such a miracle work, that God could change somebody so much like he's changed me. They, they rejoice. And so I want to clarify here. It says, uh, the scripture in Galatians 1 says, I went to Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia is where Tarsus is located. So within Asia Minor, Cilicia, Tarsus, or, or modern-day Turkey, we said. That's where Tarsus is located. When it says Syria, that's where Antioch is located. Antioch is going to be the next The next time we hear about Paul in, uh, in Acts chapter 13, he's going to be in Antioch. That's also known as Syria, to make it all make sense. So let's recap really quick. Here's what's happening between Acts 9 to Acts 13. He starts witnessing right there in Damascus. He then goes away in um, Arabia. He gets with God in the desert. He's preparing to begin his ministry. He then comes back to Damascus. He goes to Jerusalem, uh, Caesarea. He goes, you know, all that. But eventually, what does he do? He's going to come to his hometown. And I know what that's like. Like, I'm in my hometown. That's where I'm doing ministry. Never thought I'd come back here. It's where God called me to come back to, though. After college, never thought it was going to happen. But that's what, exactly what Paul's doing here. Then he makes his way to Antioch, which I think is cool for you to know this. Antioch, the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, the, the Dr. Luke, that's Luke's home church in Antioch. So, you know, they get connected, all that jazz. And let me end with this last verse in Acts chapter 9. So we're going back and forth. Now we're going to end in Acts 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. And it's kind of connecting it all because of, because of Saul. There's now peace. He's now on our team. Isn't it sweet when you can like draft Steph Curry on the team? When you can draft Michael Jordan on the team? Isn't it pretty cool? It, it, it's pretty cool when you can draft the Apostle Paul on your team. Same team. They were living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And I love this word, increase. It's just, I just feel like it's such a word for this year. It increased in numbers. The church grows when you put together the right team. I even wonder, is there people in your city right now that they need to be on Team Jesus, that if you could catch them for Team Jesus, you could increase in numbers. The gospel could go forth like never before. Because what's extraordinary when you read this is that the movement that Saul set out to crush became the movement that he set out to spread. God can do a lot in somebody's life, I'll tell you that. I mean, now that you have all this, when I finally cover Acts chapter 13, hopefully it all makes sense, we're going to see Paul appear again, and we're going to see him sent off on the first missionary journey, and he's going to take ground like no one else did in human history. I believe that there's some people listening right now that God wants you to take ground. God wants you to be used in an incredible way on Team Jesus 
for his kingdom. I believe that God wants you to be used to raise up. Maybe you're going to be like a Barnabas that says, hey, guys, we can trust him and bring him on. Maybe you're going to bring in somebody who at one point was against the church, at one point was against Jesus, but maybe you're going to be used as a bridge to bring them into the fold, the body of Christ, that there's a trust that can be created, a hope that can be created in humanity, a love that can be created, a unity. That's everything. Unity is everything. So I just want to pray that over you right now. Lord, I don't know if if right now a Saul of Tarsus that becomes Paul is listening or a Barnabas is listening. That'll be a whole nother teaching, but I just sense that in my spirit right now, that there's somebody listening that they're going to be used as a bridge to bring people into the fold in the body of Christ to see it strengthened and see it to grow. Maybe there's somebody else listening right now. They're not following Jesus, but listen, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Team Jesus, there's nothing better than it. Join this team. God wants to use you for a purpose bigger than you can possibly imagine, to see numbers that would follow Jesus and be about his glory increase and the church grow, and God wants to use you. God, I pray that you'd bless those that are listening. Bless them with this teaching. Bless them, um, Lord, and whatever circumstances they're walking in where they just need a touch of God, they need your hand on them. You're not far. You meet us on roads to Damascus, Lord. You meet us in, in circumstances, sending people like Ananias to us that... Lord, we need in a time where uh, we just need somebody to believe in us. You send ones like Barnabas that can speak on our behalf. You send them. Lord, send each one what they need when they need it in this season for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I love you all. Have a great day.